Hey, well, good morning, everyone. We are so thankful that all of you decided to join us today for Church Online. We certainly do not take that for granted. Uh, we know that you could be spending this Sunday morning in a lot of different places, and, and for whatever reason, you, you chose to make this a part of your week, and, and we really are so, so thankful for that. I certainly have been really enjoying this series that we are in right now titled Sundays. And honestly, for a lot of different reasons, but most notably, I love, love, love the collaboration that is happening between different churches right now. For, for, for far too long, churches have viewed each other as the competition rather than partners who, who are all working together towards the same mission. One of my mentors frequently throws out this line, hey, we, we have an enemy and it is not the church down the street. We, we, we can accomplish so much more for the kingdom of God by joining forces than, than we ever could by ourselves. Uh, now, by the way, for those of you who, who don't know who I am, my name is Shea Prisk, and I have the privilege uh, of leading Grumlaw Church up in Grand Blanc, Michigan. Uh, we got things started about two and a half years ago, and, and honestly, the, the reason that we have been able to make really any sort of a dent in Genesee County, uh, in large part, is because of the support of other churches that have gotten behind us. Churches that are constantly looking beyond their own walls and they're, they're truly focused on multiplication. Churches that are far more concerned with, with their sending capacity than their seating capacity. Uh, seriously, as you can probably tell, I, I love, love, love what I am seeing right now uh, between churches, again, as they collaborate. But, but moving on, because I suppose I probably am supposed to deliver a message here this morning. Uh, we've been in this series, again, titled Sundays, uh, because we all know how easy it is for every single one of us to fall into a daze. But particularly in these summer months, and even most more so when we're in the middle of, of a pandemic like we are right now. Uh, my, my oldest uh, two children, Logan, my daughter, and my son, uh, Malachi, uh, they play hard in the summer months. Like it is outside, like right after breakfast, and they basically stay outside all day. They be, eat uh, lunch and dinner outside. They're, they're constantly jumping between the swimming pool and the lake and running through the sprinklers and riding on their bikes and then riding on their power wheels. I mean, it's like outside all day, and it's typically uh, usually around seven o'clock where we're like, okay, kids, it is finally time to come inside. And then we give them their glorious, like, 30 minutes of screen time where they get to sit in front of the TV and watch a show. And because they're so tired, I mean, they are like so locked into Muppet Babies or whatever else happens to be on Disney, Disney Junior that there have been countless times throughout this summer where I'm like, Logan, Malachi, Logan, Malachi. And I'm like clapping my hands at them from like four feet away. I literally have to step over in front of the TV and start snapping my fingers and say, hey guys. And then they finally break eye contact from the TV and they look at me and me and my wife, we've just like laughed about this. We're like, I honestly thought they were ignoring me, but I think maybe they literally were just so locked in that they, they didn't hear me, that they were in a daze. But, but come on, we know that this isn't really unique to kids. We, we, we do this as adults as, as well. Uh, all you wives out there that are watching right now, come on, go ahead and give your husband a little bit of an elbow right now. H how many times have you tried getting your hubby's attention only to have him completely spaced out in some project or, or a game or... I can't be the only one that does this. My, my wife cannot stand these moments where she has like just told me like an entire story or given me a complete task. And then near the end of it, she's kind of sensed that I wasn't really paying attention only to look at me and say, will you just repeat what I just told you? 
and I have no idea what in the heck she actually said. Completely spaced out, completely in a daze. But, but doesn't it run even deeper than that? Uh, aren't we all, as in every single one of us, left to our own devices, prone to drift into a spiritual daze? Particularly during these, these summer months? I confessed to our staff a while back uh, during one of our staff meetings that I often find in my life that the hardest time that I have connecting with God and oftentimes the, find, the, the times where I find myself drifting from God the most are actually when I'm on vacation. When, when, when I'm out of my routine and I'm staying up later and I'm getting up earlier because the, the, the kids are, are, are so out of whack and and it's so hard for me to find and carve out that quiet time with Jesus that, again, I, I find myself in the spiritual days. Uh, I recently had a conversation with Travis Whitaker, whom we heard from the very first week of this series, one of my closest friends. And uh, we both just kind of had this heart-to-heart. We were both just, again, kind of confessed to each other where it's like, man, on Sunday mornings, that, that, that's typically when, honestly, we kind of have like the lousiest quiet time with God because we're so distracted by the sermon and, and what's going to happen at church once we get there that, that, again, it's so easy to stumble into this days. And we both just kind of looked at each other. We got to go to bed earlier on Saturday nights and, and wake up earlier on Sunday mornings so, so that we make that a true priority even on those Sundays when we're, you know, serving the Lord. Uh, I'm going to let you all in on a bit of a secret. Uh, pastors, th- those of us that do what I do for a living, uh, we don't really like the summer. I- I'm serious. Because so many of you who, who willingly and faithfully show up to church when the weather's not so hot, during like the dog days of January and, and February when, when it's cold and it's snowy and it's overcast and it's dreary, you, you start to check out when the weather starts to turn and, and frankly, you just have more to do. I'm serious. When it's raining on a Sunday morning in the summer, I give like a little thank you, Jesus, up to heaven because I know it means that more of you are going to show up. And now, because we've been strictly online, I mean, come on, we're not dummies. It's even easier to check out because there is essentially zero accountability. What I mean by that is if if you don't show up in person for like a month straight, it's likely that someone is going to notice. Someone you serve alongside of, somebody from your, from your small group, a, a friend that you normally sit by. But, but when it's all online, you can kind of fly under the radar. You can kind of fly under this veil of anonymity. And, and to be clear, I get it. It's not like I'm laying in bed at night, like scratching my head, wondering why this all occurs. As I've already admitted to to all of you, it's really, really easy for me to fall into this sort of spiritual daze as well, particularly in the summer months when there's frankly, again, so much more to distract us, so much more to keep us busy. But but come on, this morning, I just want us to have a real and honest conversation. I want us all to do our best to not get defensive and just allow God to speak to us as strange as that maybe sounds to some of you who are just starting to explore. For a lot of us, come on and again, try not to get defensive. Church is the thing we do when we don't have anything else going on. Again, you maybe have never thought about it in those terms. I mean, you like it. You enjoy these Sunday morning services, these experiences, even the mornings where you kind of have to force yourself to get out of bed and like, and show up. I mean, nine out of 10 times, you're glad that you came. 
But, but for a lot of us, and again, maybe you've never thought about it this way, but for a lot of us, the minute that you have other plans, uh, a friend maybe invites you to go out the night before and you end up staying up later, you have that baseball tournament, that soccer tournament, that basketball tournament, you, you get invited to the lake, your kid woke up the night before more than usual, your head sort of hurts, it's just been a long week. I mean, come on, you, you skip. You say, ah, I'm not going to go this week. Re research actually shows that a regular churchgoer is someone who shows up two out of every five weeks, less than 50% of the time. Now, but before I go any farther, I, I want to time out. I, I just want to pause. I, I, I want this to be very, very clear. That This message is in no way intended to guilt trip people into showing up to church on a more regular basis. And I'm also certainly not suggesting that showing up to church for an hour each week is going to be the avenue that sustains and grows your relationship with Jesus. In fact, as you will hear at the end of this message, I think the single most important habit that you could develop when it comes to your relationship with Jesus is spending that daily quiet time with him. Honestly, far more important than showing up to these Sunday morning services. No, no, what I am proposing is that this simply tells a part of the story for most Western Christians, uh, Americans and Canadians and, and Western Europeans, that, that, that what we see in particular in the summer months in church attendance in America is simply a microcosm of the far more significant spiritual story of most American Christians. There's, there's a book that we have in the Old Testament, kind of the first half of the Bible, titled Psalms. Uh, it's a collection of poems and prayers and, and songs that a, a number of different authors contributed to. In Psalm 113, we're, we're fairly confident that uh, King David wrote this psalm, but here he says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. I know some of you will find this to be strange, and if you find it to be strange, you probably just won't participate. But wherever you're watching from right now, will you just, will you just read that with me real quick? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Praise the Lord. Praise him for who he is. As I've been alluding to, as Americans, we have, uh, frankly, a lot to distract us. A, a, a lot of stuff that clamors for our attention and, and, and keeps us entertained. We, we have thousands upon thousands of hours of content to be consumed via Netflix, Hulu, Prime, Disney+. Plus. Our, our, our phones, these glowing rectangles, are constantly beckoning for our attention at all hours of every single day. In the summer months, again, we have boating and kayaking and tubing and paddleboarding and camping and all the other stuff that the nice weather brings along. And as a result, if you're, if you're leading a church like I am, you are, in a way, kind of forced to compete with all of that. Which is why when you show up in person, we offer you free drinks and we have expensive lighting and sound equipment. We spend thousands on well-edited videos and graphic design. We have incredible activities for your children. It's not exactly a dull, boring environment. We're essentially 
trying to make church and as a result, Jesus feel as appealing as everything else that vies for your attention in our world. Church, Jesus, our faith, it becomes, it seems to be just one of the many options available to us on this American smorgasbord that we call life. And therefore, as a result, as soon as something seemingly more exciting, something more appealing comes along, we throw aside Jesus, our faith, maybe not permanently, maybe it's just temporarily, maybe it's just for a season, maybe it's just for a day, but we chuck them to the side for something else. But but to every one of you who are watching right now, and especially if you're new, you're just beginning to explore, you, you definitely have a right to know this. Jesus is not asking for a part of your life. He demands. He demands the whole thing. He, he isn't asking for just a piece of the pie. He, he's expecting to be the center by which everything else in your life revolves around. God isn't sitting idly by with a grin on his face as we check in and out of our faith thinking to himself, well, you know, I guess it's just better than nothing. No, no, you all. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth, who created these waters, who created everything that we see around here, who, who created stars and galaxies that have yet to be discovered, who, who with a mere command of his voice, man appeared from dust. This is a God who has angels singing to him day and night. We read in Revelation, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is yet to come. This, this is the one, the true God. He, he is all that is worthy of our praise, him and nothing else. Let's read Psalm 113 again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. When we begin to come to grips with God's greatness, his power, his might, his authority, his significance and our insignificance, we should need nothing more than I will praise God because of who he is. Y'all, it's heartbreaking. And I mean that. I'm not saying that to be dramatic. It's heartbreaking that, that so many Americans hear the message of Jesus and they just shrug their shoulders. They, they see him as just a mere option. And it's frankly because that there's already so much good stuff happening in our lives. He's an option rather than someone who's worthy of completely handing our lives over to. It breaks my heart to see so many Americans claiming to be Christians, treating God as just another option, checking in and out of their faith as if Jesus is just some sort of a self-help tool. That, that, that breaks my heart because there is no way, there's no chance that if you have begun to wrap your head around the beauty of Jesus, that this message that we call the gospel, the good news, that, that there's no chance that if you have began to wrap your heart around that, that you can sit idly by and treat Jesus as an option. 
rather than the sole purpose and focus for your life. That the God of the universe, that the God who created you, who created me, who created the heavens and created the earth, the God, that God, met our rejection with grace, with love, the creation, you and, and, and me. We rejected the creator. And rather than unleashing his wrath or just walking away, he, he chose to wade into the mess. That the creation gave the creator the middle finger. And not only did he not retaliate and unleash his fury and his wrath, which he had every right to do, instead he did the complete opposite. He didn't even sit idly by and and allow us to destroy ourselves through our own sin, our own rebellion. No, no, no. He got involved and he gave us a solution to the sin problem that we created. Throughout this summer, uh, my wife and I's AC unit has been like going off and on like constantly. It's like we we keep putting these band-aids on. We know it's to the point where we basically need to replace it, but we've been trying to repair it like $20 at a time. And and the most recent repair came in the form of a hard start kit, which that makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about. I really don't, but I guess it just kind of gives it that extra boost at the beginning to get the compressor kicking on. And so the guy came out and he, uh, and he fixed it and he puts this hard start kit on. It, it would be like me right after he left, immediately opening back up the AC unit, ripping out the hard start kit, then getting some pliers and then cutting a bunch of the wires and then calling him 10 minutes after he left my house and saying, hey, you got to get back out here. It's not working. And he's like, what? Okay, it was just working a couple seconds ago. I'll be right back. And when he gets out there, he looks at my unit. He's like, did, did somebody vandalize this? Like, what happened to your unit? I'm like, oh, well, I did that. He's like, well, why would you do that? I'm like, I don't know, but you fix it now, free of charge. How do you suppose that that would go? Man, human beings, all of us, we continue to sin. We continue to rebel. We continue to reject God, and yet God continues to extend his hand and offer us a solution to the sin problem that we have zero ability to solve ourselves. In fact, and yes, the story gets even more unthinkable. He offers his son as the solution. His one and his only son is sacrificed for your sin, for my sin takes on Jesus the weight of the sin of the world and in turn God's wrath and God's fury that comes along with it. But, <laughs> but three days later, God in the flesh rises from the grave. He, he, he conquers and defeats death. So, so now every single person on the planet is given the chance to be made right with God. We have an opportunity to get that right standing back. And it's almost unthinkable that the God of the universe would make the standard so simple, that the way that you would be declared righteous, the way that you would get that right standing back, it comes down to simply trust, faith, belief. Do you believe that God sent his one and his only son for, for you? To die on a cross for you, but that three days later he, he rose from the grave. And when we come to grips with God's greatness, his might, his authority, his power, but yet also his goodness, his humility, his mercy, his love for every single one of us that was displayed by giving his son on a cross for you, for me, 
How, how could our response not be to praise him with every part of our lives? Y'all, you, you, go, you go to other parts of the world that have far less than us. You go to third world countries, and I've been on plenty of these mission trips, and, and you share with them what, what I just shared with all of you. you. You tell them the message of Jesus, the hope of the gospel, and they are looking at you like, who in the heck wouldn't say yes to this? Who would not sign up to follow Jesus? It's only in our Western culture where we have so, so much that we actually have the audacity the, the arrogance to look at Jesus, completely understand the great lengths that God has gone to to win you back, not pay you back, which is what we deserve. The great lengths that he's gone to to win you back and we have the audacity to say no. Or, or in a lot of ways, I think it's actually so much worse. We, we check in and we check out of our faith when it's convenient for us. No, no when we understand God's greatness and also his goodness, the only reasonable response is to praise him for who he is. Giving God just a portion of your life, it, it, it falls woefully short. It, it feels empty. It feels void. It feels fleeting. It feels cheap. And when you know it, when you begin to praise him and just love him for who he is, not because of anything that he's done for you, not because of your circumstances, you suddenly care a whole lot less about who's speaking on a Sunday morning. Whether the coffee was good or not. What translation of the Bible was used? What kind of music they played as you walked through the doors? You regularly remind yourself to get over yourself. And why? <laughs> because y'all, it's not about you. It's about God. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, and the lengths that he has gone to in order to win you back. It is about who he is. His greatness. His goodness. We as human beings, especially again in our Western world, we've been preconditioned to ask the question, what's in it for me? In almost every situation that we encounter in life, we ask that question, well, what's in it for me? And I assure you, if you are still asking that question in regards to following Jesus, you have not come to grips with who God is and the lengths that he has gone to to win you back. Again, it's why the psalmist writes. Let's read through verse six together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Y'all, even if another good thing never happens to us in our lives, even if the rest of our days on earth were filled with pain and suffering, we are still called as Jesus followers to praise the Lord. 
because our hope does not lie in circumstances. Our hope does not lie in temporary, in fleeting happiness. Our hope as Jesus followers lies in God Almighty, who was and is and is yet to come. I think it's why the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. The the only reasonable response to God's greatness, his goodness, the consuming fire is to praise him for who he is. But the reality is, that most American Christians spend most of our lives either blatantly ignoring God or just asking him for stuff that we want. Let let us, as in all of us who are watching right now, be the beginning of a generation that reclaims this. That, that, That we would no longer fall into a spiritual daze Because each day and every day, we are pursuing and falling more in love with our creator. The creator who is worthy of our praise. That the God who has gone to enormous lengths not to pay us back, but to win us back. That the ebbs and flows of life don't dictate our faith because our faith is attached to who God is rather than our circumstances. That, that, that Jesus isn't just one option among many. No, no, he is the only option in your life from which everything else flows. That, that God would not just be a part of our lives, but completely consume and invade every component to the point that we are almost unrecognizable. That we live in such sharp contrast to the world around us that the world around us takes notice. That we would be a generation of Jesus followers marked by our reckless obedience to whatever and wherever God leads. That our lives are a living offering to God. That every day, every hour, every minute, we are praising God with how we live. And not because we are looking for what is in it for us, but because of who he is. His greatness, his goodness that we would praise the Lord, praise the Lord now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, from the east to the west, the name of the Lord is to be praised. We thank you, God, that you are enough. We thank you for how great you are, for your power, for your might, for your authority. But we also thank you, God, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your kindness, for your humility, for your grace, for your patience. We thank you, God, that you are absolutely enough, that our hope doesn't lie in how good or how bad our lives are, how how great our circumstances are, how terrible our circumstances are. No, our hope lies in you and the life that is yet to come. We pray, God, that we really would be, that those wouldn't be just words, but that we really would be a generation of Jesus followers who follow you, who praise you because of only who you are, that we need nothing more than that. 
in your name we pray. Amen. Now, before I let you guys out of here, if you know me, I, I like to try to get practical here for a second. So just give me one more minute of your time. Some of you might be watching today and, and that might really be resonating with you. And you might be thinking, okay, I, I want that. It's not necessarily what I feel, but yes, that that resonates. That, that, that's something that I want. You know, I, I, I tend to think that we really overcomplicate this and it comes down to what I already alluded to earlier. I, I do think it is as simple as making that daily quiet time with Jesus a priority because it's in that quiet time behind closed doors when it's just you and him that a relationship actually begins to build. That, that, that's not lip service, not just something that you say on Sunday mornings. But that relationship with Jesus is every bit as real as that relationship with your spouse, with a loved one, with one of your kids. And I believe that if that relationship is real, then all this other stuff falls into place. You all probably have people in your lives that you really look up to spiritually. And I'm telling you, the only thing that separates them from you is the fact that they have actually began to form a real relationship with Jesus. And then as a result, to use this example that we've been using throughout this, this morning, the things like church, it doesn't become an option to skip. They, they, don't, they don't want to not be there because they recognize how much that community, how, how important that is to their relationship with Jesus, that they want to get together with other people who are also pursuing Jesus. Things like generosity fall into their place because you are so focused on being obedient to whatever God is asking you to do. So no matter who you are, I'm begging you. I, I think that if Jesus followers just got that right, they would just spend that daily time with Jesus. I cannot imagine how all these other issues would just solve themselves. We'd have better families, better communities. We'd love each other better. So if you haven't made that a priority, start spending time with him every day where you just share honest feelings with him through prayer. You begin to read this book that we call the Bible. We'd really recommend starting in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus and just allow those words to speak to you. For others of you, maybe it's as simple as like, okay, you spend 10 minutes every morning, it's time to set the alarm earlier and spend 30 minutes, an hour. The people that I most respect spiritually, the thing that differentiates them inevitably when I get into a conversation with them is that they just spend more time with Jesus than the rest of the people I know. So let's as a church reclaim this. Let's look forward to the day where, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess.